Clint Boyer breaks a 190 race winless streak on a Monday at Martinsville. Welcome into At the Stripe with Noah Lewis. We have a bunch to cover after this weekend's intense race at Martinsville. I told you last week when we signed off that there was going to be so much racing this weekend at Martinsville. There was going to be so much action, and it did not cease to amaze us. And Mother Nature played a little action in there as well. Start at the weekend... On Saturday for the cup cars, Friday had some practice sessions for the trucks. Saturday started cup car practice. Qualifying was also scheduled for Saturday after the truck race. We got through both practice sessions. I honestly did not believe we'd even get through the second one. I thought maybe we'd get half of the first one, if not the whole first one. No way in my mind did I think we'd get to the second one we did. And definitely no way in my mind did I think that we'd get to this truck race. We did start 25 laps of the truck race. That's when the weather came. That's when the snow came and blanketed Martinsville and the surrounding areas up to 10 inches of snow Saturday night on through into the early morning of Sunday morning. Snow continued to fall. NASCAR continued to try to manage the track, keep the track safe. I mean, not safe, but keep the track clear. Of the snow, uh, blow, put the blowers on the track, put the sweepers on the track, make sure that it was ready for Sunday's race because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to keep it on schedule. That's not quite how it happened. I rolled over at 7-something a.m. on Sunday morning to an alert that the race was postponed to Monday, and that's when I had to start making a few calls to make sure that I could uh, see those races and bring this podcast to you guys, but we... Got it in today on this Monday, a double header. The trucks was also pushed to this Monday, uh, in which I'm recording this. You're hearing this on a Tuesday or beyond, but that's when it came, comes out is on the Tuesday after the Martinsville race. So we did see a race, and we saw a lot of racing. At 11 a.m. this morning, Eastern Standard Time, we saw the truck race kick back off. Lap 26, they got going. Uh, before that, I, before we break down that race, I also want to say that I definitely want to commend NASCAR for the call. There were a lot of race fans who were disappointed in the call because they were traveling from distant areas to make it to the cup race, and most of them had work. I remember reading a tweet from someone that they had a six-hour traveling time, and they were about one hour out. When they got the news, they had to turn around. So some fans were frustrated with the fact that NASCAR didn't pull the plug sooner. Um, but I, I don't, I can't really stand. I mean, if I was that fan, I'd be a little sad that they didn't pull the plug sooner. But it was all in safety of the fans. They were up to ten inches in some surrounding areas of the track. The parking lots were covered in snow. You know, if there's a race and you bought a ticket for it, you're gonna try to get to that track and see that race, and NASCAR didn't want to hear that their fans were stuck in ditches, and and then also local EMS and police had to do their jobs to make sure that the Martinsville surrounding areas were safe, and 
you know, respond to any accidents from that snow. So a big, big appreciation from my part to NASCAR for that call. It definitely needed to be made. I, with many others, thought that we definitely could see the Sunday race because Sunday was beautiful. Sunday melted a good amount of snow, uh, and the cup race wouldn't start till I believe, 2. So we thought we'd see a race Sunday, but when everyone saw just how much snow actually fell in some areas, it was way more than expected. So NASCAR had to make a decision, and that's what they came up with. They talked to all the responders, the EMS that was going to be at the track, the track workers, all of that. And they made what was the better judgment, what was the better call. Not as many fans were able to show up for that uh, because of Monday being a work day and traveling distances, different things that play in. But that's really, I mean, when you buy a race ticket, folks, that's that's one thing. Whoops. That is one thing that has to happen. So you need to know that that's a possibility. So... Great job to NASCAR once again for making the call that they made. It was a very good call on their part and moving on. So we got into the truck race at 11 a.m. this morning and right off the bat, the intensity ramped up. I mean, we did not see for a minute that there was single file all around. We saw double file racing, sometimes three wide. Yeah, at Martinsville somehow they made it work. Uh, crazy racing throughout that race. A very short race with only 250 laps at the Martinsville track for the truck race. But the ending was spectacular. A late race caution. Uh, a lot of guys playing strategy in that race. Grant Emfanger would stay out on two tires. He would hold on to a top five track position. And uh, for the first time, David Gilliland had his race team at the track, and that was actually their first race in the truck series. I believe they are partnered with KBM. David Gilliland's son is driving that KBM entry with the number four for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and he'll run the remainder of the season in that number four truck running for championship points. This was his first race in the truck series as a full-time driver, due to the fact that he could not race at tracks. He just turned 18, I believe. Uh, I'm not quite sure on that, but there was a reason due to his age that he wasn't allowed to race at tracks like Daytona, Atlanta. So he raced this or Las Vegas. So he raced this weekend at Martinsville and put on a show. He really did. He had to start from the rear, marched his way back up through the field, led a good many laps, and was able to come away with a decent, uh, not too decent, 14th place finish after getting in to making some contact with another truck and having to pit. He was the only person to pit on that final pit stop, was able to make it back up to 14th. Definitely not the day that he wanted, but a very successful day overall. The team was up front for a great portion of the race, battling his dad's team with Kyle Benjamin in the 54 truck. 
And for their first race to come out of the gate and show that they were there was spectacular. And and it all has to do also with this new NT1 engine. This new NT1 engine gives teams like that team an opportunity to come in and be successful if they have good equipment and a good team in their first race. And Kyle Benjamin drove the wheels up that thing. His first career Camping World Truck Series start. And for a first start for that team as a whole, you know, it was, I mean, you can't get any better. I mean, you could with a win, but man, who hears of a team these days that comes right out of the gates and is leading laps and contending for a win? And that's what Kyle Benjamin, who has only made Xfinity Series starts in NASCAR's top three series is for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he's done a whale of a job in that as well. So Kyle Benjamin, he did not get the win. He was able to finish second, but... John Hunter Nemechek, who's not running a full-time schedule this year in the Camping World Truck Series. He's running part-time for Chip Ganassi Racing. That team in Nemco Motorsports only has four full-time employees now, but they are still running in the Camping World Truck Series. And another true testament to this new engine and these teams that are really just putting a show on. Nemco Motorsports is is doing amazing with their program over there. John Hunter was able to win a few races last year and coming back this year already winning a race at Martinsville. It was down to the nitty-gritty. He wasn't the projected winner when you looked at it with a few laps to go, but then he took the lead on a late race caution and did not look back. But coming to the line, Kyle Benjamin was all over John Hunter Nemechek's bumper Pulled out a line, almost got that to the line before John Hunter Nemechek, but wasn't able to come away with it. If he had a couple more laps, though, we would have seen something like a photo finish because it was just a all-around great battle all day for the trucks to come in two days later and put on a show. Great racing by those guys. But we're going to look at the topic at hand, and that is Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer came back to Martinsville, never winning at Martinsville, but with what he described as his best car ever there. And that team has just been getting so much better. Stuart Haas Racing as a whole has been so great this year that you can't look at Clint Boyer and say that he's not a contender. And this week he was finally able to do everything he needed to do. And it was almost ruined by a pit stop when his fuel guy thought that the jack had dropped and the changer was coming around at that moment, he backed off, undid the fuel can from the car, and then waited for the guy to run around the car, which was way too early. They did not get enough fuel into that car, and they were just laps away from coming down pit road and losing all contention of a race win and of a lead lap finish. That's what would have happened to Clint Boyer. But a caution came out late on in the race, and Clint Boyer was able to come down with the other cars, get that fuel that he needed, and he didn't look back either. And Clint Boyer hadn't won a race since 2012 at Charlotte in October. So a huge deal for Clint Boyer. He becomes the first driver to win in all three manufacturers. That's a little fun fact for you. And his children... 
their first win in victory lane. So, big deal for Clint Boyer. Very, very, very good to see him break a 190-race winless streak. It was just an amazing day for him. I am not a Clint Boyer fan, but I was definitely rooting for him in the closing laps that no caution would come out. And uh, and so, great, great race for Clint Boyer. Very happy for him and his whole team. They really deserved it. That team and the number 14 team with crew chief Mike Bugger Ravage, excuse me, uh, they haven't won since 2016 in Sonoma with Tony Stewart. So good for them to get back in victory lane. Good for Clint Boyer to be back in victory lane. Something that he's long deserved for a while now. And it is very, very nice to see. So Clint Boyer would go on to win the race. Uh, finishing second again would be Kyle Bush. We'll go into that in a minute. Finishing third would be the stage two winner of Ryan Blaney. Finishing fourth would be Martin Truex Jr. Fifth would be Kevin Harvick. Sixth would be Joey Logano. Seventh would be Alex Bowman. Eighth would be A.J. Allmendinger. Ninth would be Chase Elliott. Tenth would be Brad Keselowski. Eleventh would be Kurt Busch. Twelfth would be Denny Hamlin. Thirteenth would be Paul Menard. Fourteenth, Eric Almarola. Fifteenth, Jimmy Johnson. Sixteenth, Kyle Larson. Seventeenth, Eric Jones. Nineteenth, Daniel Suarez. Excuse me, 18th, Daniel Suarez, 19th, Ryan Newman, and 20th would be William Byron. I'm just going to go through the top 20 there, but some guys that were taken out of contention, big name guys like Jamie McMurray, who had a, he finished the race, but had a wreck late on, he would finish 26th, as well as Darrell Wallace Jr., who had to go behind the wall to replace some sort of rear end, uh, I believe rear end, failure in the car they were able to replace that they ended up finishing 34th again not the finish that the 43 team wanted after coming off such great success in Daytona earlier at the season opener so oh and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. also one of the guys I believe I picked as my underdog headed into Martinsville that team in practice crashed and had to go to a backup car and for some reason that backup car was just not good at all Ricky Stenhouse Jr. looked more like a underfunded team than a Roush Fenway racing car. And it's it's sad to see that that's kind of what Roush is having to deal with right now is that their backup cars aren't good. And that's coming from a team that we used to see in victory lane often with Matt Kenseth and Carl Edwards. So uh, Landon Castle and, and his comeback, they had a rear gear fail. They finished 38th. But he was the only car not to finish the race. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finishes 37th. And he did finish the race. So Landon Castle, the only car in 38th, not being able to complete all 500 laps with that rear failure. His first race back after Jeffrey Earnhardt stepped away from that race car to pursue some other opportunities. Uh, we don't know what they are, but we will talk about them when they are announced at a later date. So Clint Boyer coming away with that win. Kyle Busch, man, oh man, can this guy catch a break? Kyle Busch finished second again. Uh, another top three finish for Kyle Busch, just to add to the list of thanks this season. He cannot catch a break with finishing in the top three. Now, most people would look at that and say, wow, he should be grateful he's finishing in the top three. I'd take that. Yes, but when you look at finishing in the top three consecutively, week in and week out, 
it gets kind of mentally challenging for you. It has to. To be so close every weekend and just not be there at the end. Oh, man, it must tear him up inside. You really got to think about <laughs> about what he's feeling with that. So, of course, he, I bet he's excited that his team can run top three week in and week out and that they're a championship caliber car. But if you're not checking the box beside the win column, then second and third aren't going to look too great. So, Kyle Busch, once again, not being able to come away the winner. He described it as him his team being in their own zip code because they were able to pull away from the rest of the field. But every week there's someone else who's in their own zip code, which is not his zip code and are pulling away from him. And so he's hoping that their team can get a grasp on that and they can come back and win. I believe he finished third last week, second the week before. So Kyle Busch definitely getting frustrated with not being able to pull the car in victory lane as he probably should be because I know for me it would take a very big strain on me to know that I can't close the deal and we're right there. We're so close and we can't close the deal. But we saw Kyle Busch last year not win until July in Indianapolis. So, you know, he's gone longer and no reason to really hang your head because you're doing you're doing great. Uh, I, that's kind of contradicting what I just said. No, you're not going to walk away from the race weekend feeling down because you didn't succeed. Because you did. You finished second and you finished third week in and week out. You're just walking away knowing that you could have maybe one of those race moments where you could have done something else. Or maybe you couldn't have and you know you're just right there. So... Definitely with his held, head held high for where he's finishing. But, yes, inside, it's going to tear you up emotionally and mentally because, you know, you're so close. So uh, so still a great run for those guys. Something to be proud of in that respect. But a win is, makes second place look like it's far away. So I'm sure they want to definitely chase that down and, and definitely check that off. Speaking of Kyle Busch, he now moves into the overall driver standings lead. That is not the playoff standings. That is the driver standings. Martin Truex Jr. is second. Ryan Blaney third. Joey Logano fourth. Brett Kozlowski fifth. Denny Hamlin sixth. Kevin Harvick seventh. Clint Boyer is now eighth with his win. Kyle Larson ninth. And Kurt Busch in tenth. Another thing I want to talk about today is Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott. Wow. I mean, these guys... You know, we'll get to A.J. Allmendinger because he needs a whole segment of his own. But these Hendrick Motorsports guys did not run well all day. The 48, the 88, and the 9 shared a setup coming into this race so that they could learn off of each other. The 24 did a, a different type of thing, which wouldn't end up working out for them when you look at their finishing. They would go on to finish 20th. But the 9 and the 88 and the 48 did not run very well throughout the course of the day. And... We saw those teams make, 500 laps is a long time. We saw those teams make a very big gain toward the end of that race. We saw Alex Bowman just charging, charging the field. He would finish 7th, and then Chase Elliott behind him finishing ninth. For two guys who were outside of the top 10 for majority of the day, to go on and get top 10 finishes, great for them. Great for Hendrick Motorsports to have two cars in the top 10 this this weekend. 
And for Chevrolet to have three in the top ten, we're seeing these manufacturers with Chevy grow week in and week out. They're still dealing with the growing pains of a new body. This is the first official short track of the season. We talk about Phoenix as a sort of short track, but you get higher speeds than what you're getting at somewhere like Martinsville or at Bristol. So when we think of short tracks, you think of Martinsville for sure, and that's somewhere where they first – you know, this is the first official short track of the season. So to have these notes and to take them on for the playoff race will pay dividends greatly. Uh, things not to do pay dividends greatly. And I do, maybe it was made, so maybe the team talked about, let's run this setup with the 24 as well to see what we can gain on what's better. You know, compare notes. So Great to see that teamwork out of the Chevrolet groups to try to make the car better and make the manufacturer as a whole better because that's what they're really shooting for this year. And we saw the growing pains with Toyota last year. It took the Joe Gibbs Racing team a little while. So Hendrick Motorsports definitely getting better week in and week out. A.J. Allmendinger, man, this guy is so great when it comes to a short track. Uh, they compare short tracks almost to road courses in some ways. Obviously, it's not a road course when it's an oval, but... The turns in a short track like Martinsville, you really have got to get down from a high RPM to a very low RPM, and you have to negotiate that corner, which is something we know A.J. Allmendinger is so great at. And so for him to consistently stay in the top 10, I believe there was a stat that he ran in the top 10 this race longer than any other race he's run, I believe it was. So... Right off the bat, A.J. Allmendinger was flying through the field. They had to start on owner points because qualifying was canceled due to that snow shower. So he had a farther back starting spot than he wanted to, but was able to fly through the field, hang on a track position, and do what he needed to do to get a great finish. Uh, we talked about Chase and Alex and Jimmy. Jimmy, I did not mention, he finished 15th. So... He was a, the, actually the first car a lap down at the end of that race. So, gains coming out of the Chevrolet group. We saw A.J. Allmendinger running well, which we kind of expect from a place like Martinsville. But for Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott to finish in the top 10, we're seeing the gains from this car and from this group, and that's very great to see. Uh, we saw Ford come out on top again. You know, most people going into this race season, I continue to sing the same song. Did not think Ford was going to be a contender compared to the Chevys and the Toyotas for the championship, for race wins, uh, except for at places like restrictor plate races. But never would you think a Ford would be up front at a mile and a half headed into this season. And continuing to show that they can do it is definitely Stuart Haas Racing. We saw them with many wins with Kevin Harvick when they were a part of the Chevy manufacturer, uh, now a part of Ford. It took them that year of growing pains, just like we're talking about Hendrick Motorsports with a new body. It took them that year. Now look at them. They're coming out of the gates every race weekend, strong. Kevin Harvick finishing fifth. His teammate, Eric Almarola, had he not had a speeding penalty late, he ran in the top 10 consistently. Kurt Busch finished 11th. So Eric Almirola would go on to finish 14th, but definitely a way better finish deserved for that 10 team 
than what they ended up finishing. But speeding on pit road ended up getting them in the end. That's why they would finish 15th. They would be the last car on the lead lap to finish the event. So Toyota, we still continue to see Kyle Busch finishing in the top three. And wanting more, (laughs) we saw Martin Truex Jr. get the win for Toyota last week in Auto Club, their first win of the season. So we do have a Toyota win checked off. We have a Chevy win checked off. And we've got another Ford win checked off. All manufacturers being represented this year so far. And that's great for NASCAR fans. That's great for NASCAR as a whole to see. Kyle Busch. Oh, we already went over Kyle Busch. What am I saying? Pit guns. Sorry about that. Pit guns. Another topic of the weekend. Now, we did not talk about them much after the race in Fontana. I don't believe we talked about them much after the race in Phoenix. We're back to this pit gun talk. NASCAR introduced, if you're unaware, NASCAR introduced the new mandated pit guns. Teams, Smaller teams were saying, hey, we're getting beat off of pit road because of this investment financially with pit gun development and how to make sure or how to find a faster pit stop. So you could get off pit road first, which at most racetracks gives you a huge advantage. And when I say most, I'm talking about (laughs) everywhere other than Daytona and Talladega. A huge advantage to how your race is going to play out. And so these small teams are saying, we don't have the money to invest into something like pit gun development. We barely have money to show up to the racetrack. We need NASCAR to do something to... One, limit the spending of bigger teams because they have to. They had the funds to do it, but they have to to compete. They have to to stay competitive. They don't want to invest all of this money particularly, but if there is something that you can do to make your race better and the other teams are doing that, then you kind of have to. So smaller teams and bigger teams are saying that we're in this thing where we're spending extra money or the other teams have an unfair advantage because they have the money. We need something to happen with these pit guns. So NASCAR announced earlier before the season that they were going to give pit guns to the teams every weekend that were from a certain manufacturer. So everybody was on the same pit gun strategy. Now we saw... We saw pit stops fall off in speed-wise. That was also due to pit road being a uh, losing one member of the pit team that can go over the wall. So those two things combined with the slower stops of the pit guns as well as losing the member would slow the stop down. Um, But we've seen over the past few weekends since the season started that Guys are having a lot of issues with these pit guns, whether it be the actual uh, something from the pit gun falling off, coming out of place, jamming up. This weekend, we saw it to a new extreme where the actual pit gun split in half. Uh, They were able to complete the stop, but right after pulling the pit gun away from the lug, the actual pit gun split in half. So... We're seeing this problem again that we're running into, which could severely mess somebody's race up. 
then that would fall on an NASCAR for giving them a pit gun that wasn't good, you know? And so NASCAR continuously needs to work on trying to make sure that they get this problem fixed because it could go on to be a make-or-break moment. If that was the final pit stop of the day for Clint Boyer and that pit gun were to break mid-stop, you know, that would have took him from thinking he has a solid, solid chance of winning that race to completely out of contention in a matter of a pick gun breaking. So something they really need to work on as we go on. I, I've said this before. I hate to sound like a broken record, but once again, we're running into these issues. So it's something they really need to work on going into the rest of the season and on down the line because, yes, it's it's a huge advancement for NASCAR to limit the spending and to level the playing field, but it's it's it doesn't level anything if they're breaking. So, something we need to fix. Uh, one thing that I thought was pretty funny that we saw with the snow this weekend, we had Kyle Larson and we had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, on social media, on Twitter. They were actually climbing on the motorhomes outside of the track. For those drivers who did not take a flight home for the night, they were climbing on the motorhome. Or actually, it was Saturday night, I believe. So drivers were still expecting to have that Sunday race. So they were all there. Uh, they climbed on the motorhome, and they were wiping off satellite dishes and putting it on Twitter. So what did the other drivers do? They called them over to wipe off their satellite dishes. Uh, guys like Bubba Wallace Jr. and Denny Hamlin. And it was pretty pretty entertaining to watch. I bet the videos are still up if you'd like to go onto their Twitter pages and take a look at that. But uh, pretty fun to see. And it's it's great to see these drivers interacting with fans on social media. Because when you have that, it really shows that these guys aren't just athletes that get paid bukus of money. They're real people. They're, they're genuine people. And from... Drivers that I've met, Dale Jr., Matt DiBenedetto, uh, I've met Kenny Wallace, I've met Ty Dillon, Chase Elliott, Bill Elliott, Richard Petty. All of these all these people are genuine people so far that I've met, especially Matt DiBenedetto. What a cool guy he was to sit and have a whole conversation with. Uh, Jamie Little, who is a NASCAR on Fox pit reporter, they're regular people, and they really let you know, it, it it just makes NASCAR, in my opinion, a so much better sport friendly-wise than other sports. Now, I've never been on the sideline of a football event. Now, that's pretty hard to, to get on the sideline because NASCAR, you have such an opening for fan interaction. There are fans surrounding drivers minutes before they strap strap into a race car that's something that we don't see in other professional sports where you can sit and watch a driver on pit road strap into a race car or walk to the grid you know or things like that so something that separates us from different sports and just to see those genuine people so we saw Stenhouse and Larson with the with a ladder dragging it across the motorhome lot climbing up on satellite dishes uh, on top of the roof for the satellite dishes and cleaning them off. And uh, and we saw Denny Hamlin joking around with them saying, five-star review, I definitely refer these guys if you need any help and stuff like that. And then they jumped out of the motorhome lots 
And they walked over to the track where they were continuously working to keep the snow off of the track and blow the snow off. And they hopped in a blower and ran around the track in the blower in the uh, in the snow plow that was clearing the track off. So uh, these drivers having a lot of fun on that Saturday night, hoping to get the race in the next day. That didn't end up happening. We saw Jimmy Johnson, who was able to sneak home Sunday after the cancellation of the race, and he was able to go to his daughter's horse show, I believe it was. Uh, we saw a couple other drivers. One driver was able to go home and make breakfast and surprise his family that he was there. And so a variety of things, if you can, if you get on social media and you look up the different drivers, it's a more in-depth connection to their personal life, to who they are. Because when we see them at a track on an interview, you really can't tell who they are. But a lot of different, especially younger NASCAR drivers, have really opened that door. And, and Dale Jr., he's he's a retired guy now. Uh, Dale Jr., he's very interacting, a very interactive, excuse me, driver uh, for the Twitter universe over there. So make sure you check that out for sure because you can find a lot of entertainment from these guys over on the Twitter side of things. But now as we switch gears into Texas, uh, I'm going to go through this, my Texas review, my Texas picks now. We do have an off week for NASCAR with Easter holiday, and that will mean an off week for At The Stripe Podcast. So I'm going to take this time to go over the Texas review now instead of never because we won't have a podcast next weekend. So my picks for Texas Jimmy Johnson, uh, Hendrick Motorsports struggling at the moment with the new body. Maybe found something when they were out in the West Coast. Could bring that back. He finished first in the April race, 27th in the November race. That was when they were in that slump and kind of fell off. Maybe this is a time for them as an underdog pick. It's weird to pick Jimmy Johnson as an underdog pick, seven-time champion. But as an underdog pick to make that kind of comeback and and show that Hendrick and Chevy are there. Maybe not a win, but a good finish. Uh, maybe a win. Who knows? Anything can happen. So Jimmy Johnson is definitely on my list. How can you not pick him at a place like at uh, Texas? And he came off the bat. This is a new track. I, I'm going off of this last year's stats because this is a newly repaved track, and the turn one and two are very differently banked than three and four and very different than what they were in years past. So I'm going off of last year's stats, not years prior due to that fact and how people finished last year when they raced them. So Jimmy Johnson is going to be on my list. Truex Jr., Martin Truex Jr., he finished second in November and eighth in April. So in the first race he went there, finished eighth. Second race, locked him into the uh, playoffs, finishing in the... Or not locked him in, but helped him in the playoffs, finishing second. And so, Truex on a a mile-and-a-half racetrack, he's got to be on your list. Uh, For a guy that was so strong last year, he showed his strength at Auto Club at a two-mile track and at mile-and-a-half tracks already this year, he's got to be on your list. Larson, also another guy, bigger track. He ran there in April, finished second. Led 70 laps in November, 70 plus laps in November, uh, ended up crashing out in that event, but still a good day for Kyle Larson, so you can't count that 42 out as well. So he's going to make my list for those few reasons. Uh, 
Kyle Larson has shown his strength at a mile and a half recently in last year. So he's really holding the banner for the Chevys this season so far. And I think he continue that with a good can continue that with a good finish in Texas. Brad Keselowski also made the list. Ford is doing so well right now, and Brad Keselowski has done so well at Texas that you can't leave him off of your list. He finished sixth in April, finished fifth in November. Maybe he can better that spot by another one and finish fourth, or maybe he can better that by a few and finish first. So Brad Keselowski definitely you cannot count out. That guy knows what he's doing when he when it comes to Texas, the Fords are running pretty well right now on a mile and a half race tracks. So maybe Brad Kozlowski can pull the two into victory lane and do a burnout with that American flag sticking out the window. Here is the one that some are longing to hear and others are praying they don't hear. That is Kevin Harvick. Yes, of course I'd be an idiot not to put the four car on my list headed into Texas Motor Speedway. Without even mentioning the success that he's had already this season at a mile and a half track, let's head back to last year. Finished well. Remind you that Stuart Hodge Racing had just switched to Ford. This was only the, I believe, seventh race of the season. So Kevin Harvick came away with a fourth place finish in the April race, in the first race. So, you know, already showing signs of consistently, I mean, consistency, excuse me, there, then backed it up with a win to lock him into the championship round, finishing first in the November race. That's really where people started to say this team is going to be strong in a mile and a half racetrack next year because they know what they're doing. And, and they have not failed to prove that this season. You you can't leave out Kevin Harvick when you're pick when you're thinking of these mile and a half racetracks because Kevin Harvick has just done so much this season so far, and and proved that he was pretty good last year here as well that he's got to make the list. So Kevin Harvick, he is my number one pick headed into Texas. Anything can happen. We saw Fontana, and in Fontana, you know he got wrecked out when he could have been one of the favorites heading into that race as he was moving through the field. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Can Kevin Harvick win number four of the season, keep that Stuart Haas racing streak? Not streak because this is, well, I mean, it would be a streak. It would be a two-race win streak now and uh, with Clint Boyer just winning in Martinsville, but keep their great show that they're putting on alive with so many wins this season and, it could happen. So we'll see. Uh, but first, we'll go through an off week, which makes me really sad because I don't want to miss any of... Uh, we're all going to miss NASCAR, let's face it. But a nice week to spend with family, Easter Sunday, and to relax, go places. I know for me, I stay either... If I'm at the track, I'm hooked to the track, or if I'm watching on TV, I'm hooked to the TV all race long or all, all weekend long. So this will give me an opportunity to do some things. Uh, hopefully this will give you one as well if you have some things that you want to get done. And then also the holiday and what it means to you to uh, celebrate that and for these drivers to have a little bit of a break. Maybe a little bit of a break is a good thing. So we'll then get back for a number of weeks to the action at Texas. So make sure that you're tuning in 
for those race recaps on At The Stripe Podcast. Well, this is the end of our show, folks. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, for staying and listening to me babble on about Martinsville and the mayhem that it ensued, a Monday race, the snow, so much happened. Martinsville's already a dramatic racetrack with all the action that takes place there. Snow on top of that really topped the weekend off. Drivers having to race on a Monday, a doubleheader starting at 11 a.m., coverage not ending until 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What a weekend. I'm glad you were here to break it all down with me. Make sure you're continuously checking out our site at tsjsports.com. We have such a variety of different sections of sports that you can go into. We have great writers that love to write and, and give new information and breaking news out to all of the fans that love to read it. So we enjoy doing all of that. Make sure you check out our NASCAR department. We have great writers. We're always updating you with the latest news in NASCAR and what we think about the upcoming race weekend. So make sure you're commenting on the podcast, checking out our Twitter page. We'd love to know what you're thinking, what you think that can make the podcast better or different other suggestions you have. Also, who you think going into Texas will be the number one pick, who you have, who your favorite driver is, what you thought of Martinsville, different things like that. Let us know in the comments below or tweet at us at TSJ at the stripe. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe and have a good week.